1: you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, July 12th, 2013. This week is episode 291. We're coming to you from Studio D in Central City, Pennsylvania. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. Here with me at the controls is our engineer, Roxy V, Val Bender.
0: Hi, everyone.
1: Joining us from Studio C is my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick.
2: Hey, Joe. Good Friday to you and to everyone else.
1: Good day, Cliff. And today's guest will be our uh, you know, our one and only technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow. Today's segments will include an interview with Dr. Wow. We're going to talk a little advanced indoor environmental quality consulting and contracting, and we're going to go into uh, some detail on particle physics today. Of course, we'll have our halftime and then go back to our roundup at the end, but we may not have to because everybody will be on the line. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors, John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com.
3: Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at Clean, C L E A N F A X dot com, and C M M dot com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ radio when you inquire about their services and products.
1: All right, before we get started, let's tell people how to get a hold of us. You can listen to the show right from our homepage at IAQradio.com. dot com. That's streaming. To download the show, you go to the go to show button at the top. Then you can right click on the download button from the Talk Shoe website. And of course, you can also get the show from iTunes. Just type in I, go to the podcast section and type in IAQ Radio. Don't forget, we also have renewal credits available for those of you interested in ABIH, IICRC, or ACAC renewal credits. Just email me and request some quizzes at joe.com hughes at iaqtraining.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question.
2: Thanks, Joe. cool prize by outcompeting fellow IEQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IEQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Either email it to cslotnick at com, or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, you can text in your answer. Congratulations. Andy Krasowski, Cloncast Metal Products, Mars PA. Yet another win for Andy, and he was the first uh, person to identify Ben Franklin as the prominent American colonialist who is active in forming and founding insurance companies in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The IEQ Radio trivia question for Friday, July 12, 2013 has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. And uh, we're going to talk about a great event that we're holding in, in August in conjunction with IAQ Radio a little bit later. Uh, check out our website. It's www.trsca.org. Now for this week's trivia question. Name one of the fundamental and least understood particles which make up the universe. Predicted by Wolfgang Pauli and later named by Enrico Fermi, the name means little neutral one in Italian. Back to you,
1: Joe. Today's guest is Dr. Dietrich Weil. Dr. Weil is our technical director and good friend of the show. Joins us here just about every Friday at noon. Dr. Wow is a doctor in occupational and environmental health from the University of Pittsburgh. He also taught at the University of Pittsburgh's Graduate School of Public Health and Duquesne University. Also served for, or worked at Bayer Corporation for quite a few years back in his early career. Afterwards, he went into private practice and continues into private practice to this day.
0: Man, particle man, man, doing the thing. Particle can. What's he like? It's not important. Particle man. Is he a dot
3: or is he a speck? When he's underwater, does he get wet or does the water
0: get him instead? Nobody knows. Particle man.
1: All right. Hello, Dr. Dietrich Wild. Do we have you on the line?
0: Yes, I can hear you loud and clearly. No problem.
1: Thanks for joining us again, Dieter. Hey, we, we've we've been doing training together for uh twelve years now, Dieter, believe it or not. And uh we, I know, <laughs> it's hard to believe. <laughs> but anyway, um this year and, and actually for the last six years now, we have had a a summer break event here up on the mountains in Pennsylvania, the Laurel Highlands. This year we've moved it to Hidden Valley Resort, which is a nice ski resort, a little, a small ski resort, and it's kind of a family oriented event and atmosphere there. But um, this year, we're also doing, for the first time, the Advanced Indoor Environmentalist course. And we asked Dieter to be one of the keynote speakers, and his presentation is primarily going to be on particles, gases, vapors, and the importance of understanding how they affect indoor environmental quality, how they uh, move throughout buildings and you know different ways of remediating them we're going to also do some hands-on type activities at the event um, cliff before i go any further did did you want to go over a little bit on the other types of activities we've got coming up
2: well yes uh... you know I, I think that you know one thing unique about our event uh... that that separates it from from other things is you know now you can take a lot of educational courses online you can get cc credits online But you really can't effectively network online. And one of the secrets of business success is networking with people that you don't compete directly with, with whom you can share business secrets and all sorts of technical information. And yes, at these events you can learn great technical information from the sessions, but really the best and most valuable learning often occurs in one-to-one private meetings at a bar, at a restaurant. You know, you're chatting with a group of people, and really, it's in those private meetings where lifelong—or I'm sorry—lifetime friendships are formed and durable business relationships are forged. And we're excited to announce that the tri-state. Uh, especially cleaners association tradition continues you know for many many years we had events at at seven springs and probably for 20 years in a row until we ended up getting bumped out by a larger group there' have been many people that have asked us to uh, you know put an event back together again and you know we tried to work with seven springs they weren't real easy to work with and uh, you know we ended up having an opportunity to team up with indoor air IQ training and uh, it was just just great, and we're really excited to return to uh, Hidden Valley Resort in Pennsylvania's beautiful rural highlands. The Triska uh, tradition will continue. We're going to have a, a joint meeting and educational event, and there, I mean, we've got every possible opportunity uh, for technical training. You can get obtain prestigious certifications. There's going to be great opportunity for networking and it's just an all-around family-friendly fun. The event is August 19th through the 23rd. Uh, There's really a program to meet every budget. You can come for just a presentation, uh you can come for a day, you can come and take a course, or you can attend uh you know the entire event. So I tried to sum it up as quick as I could, Joe. Thanks for the time.
1: Uh, well done. Well done. Dieter, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the topics. We decided I worked closely with Dieter and, and ran a lot of this past him prior to putting together the outline for the course. We decided to start with particles, gases, and vapors, a little advanced industrial hygiene, which we'll go into a little more in a moment with with Dr. Wow, And then uh, he will be doing that presentation first thing on on day three, which is Wednesday. Um, Actually, we've got two days before that with a, a foundations course for those that have not had any background in indoor environments. Dieter, why do you think it's so important that people understand better what you know, the basics behind it and a little more detail actually about particles, gases, and vapors and doing indoor air quality?
0: Well, uh, certainly uh, uh, we are interested in in air pollutants, uh, whether it's particulate matter or gases, vapors, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Why are we interested in it? Because we have to breathe. from, From the day we are born until the day we die, we have to breathe. And whatever is in the air will to varying uh, extents enter the human lung as we are uh, uh, inhaling so if there is asbestos in there, well we inhale it if there is lead in there, we inhale it if there is carbon monoxide in there we if there are paint solvents in there we are inhaling Uh, uh, exhaust uh, stuff that comes from diesels or other uh, uh, engines doesn't matter Uh, there is particulate matter we inhale it, well we, we made a decision that we want to live in this world the way it is, and I totally agree with it, um, but we got to watch uh, out that when we are something inhaling, what is the fate of it? What does it do to the body? And there are, of course, people in this world, they are called toxicologists. They expose uh, animals to... Uh, vapors and particulate matter and, and, and see and watch what is happening uh, to the body so um, from that we can extrapolate to some degree not 100% but to some degree and we have a lot of experience with mice and rats to some degree we can predict what is going to happen when somebody, a human and that's basically what we are interested in is exposed to those
1: materials you bring up an interesting point dear how similar is a mouse or a rats respiratory system to a humans well
0: uh, I had a slide which I did when I was at the University of Pittsburgh we did it over uh, at the uh, medical uh, yeah, at a hospital uh, where they had animals and I had a picture of a rat opened up a guinea pig, opened up the, 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 the belly cavity. You know, we, we, we cut down uh, uh, through the sternum down over there. The rat, of course, was dead. And that of a human. And <laughs> we made it in such a way that they were all the same size. So it wasn't that the human was, you know, a hundred times larger than the liver of a, a little rat, a mouse or something like that and it is amazing it is amazing they all look the same hmm. there's no doubt about that and the respiratory tract and that is a, it's a very good question and sometimes not understood and we get into that a little bit more when i talk about particle size uh, the respiratory tract uh, of a of an elephant and a mouse uh, or a guinea pig and a mouse and a human Basically, they are the same. They, they serve the same purpose. We are inhaling air, and the air con- uh, is basically out of 80% nitrogen and 20% oxygen, and we inhale that so that the oxygen gets into the lung. From the lung, the, uh, the oxygen travels across the membrane, the alveoli, the air sacs, into the capillary bed of the lung, that's where the red blood cells are being pushed through by the heart and the red blood cell picks up the oxygen and transports the oxygen where it is needed. Your brain, your heart, other muscles, and you know, all over the place. I mean, you know, wherever you cut yourself, you're bleeding. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, 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 it's one of the things. The other thing is, uh, uh, yes, the working end is pretty much the same. But the geometry uh, from the trachea, the windpipe, to the alveoli is certainly quite different from the mouth than that of a person.
1: I see. And how is that? Is it, uh, I mean, I would assume you would think it's smaller to start with. Their trachea isn't the uh,
0: same sure. of a human trachea. Uh, you know? Sure. I mean, just look, I mean, yeah, the, 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 the lung... The lung of a mouse is uh, basically, let's say, the size of a quarter approximately, and uh, the lung is a huge, uh, it's a huge uh, organ in the human body. If you were to straighten out the lung, uh, all the air sacs, and you would straighten that all out, the total uh, area of the human lung is about the size of a tennis court. It's huge, yes. and I don't know whether it's a single cord or a double cord. It doesn't really matter. It is a huge organ, and it is a wonderful distributor of oxygen, in, and, uh, of oxygen and carbon dioxide. We are exhaling carbon, oxide, uh, carbon dioxide and are inhaling uh, uh, oxygen. So both go through the lung into the bloodstream and out of the bloodstream.
1: Uh, Cliff, I know you had a quick question. In I, I, I did,
2: Dieter. You know, you, you mentioned animals a couple of times, and you know, yes. rats and, and mice. And you know, there's a movement. Um, you know, I think with cosmetics and other types of products against uh, the use of of, of animals in, in in testing. I mean, do you think that animal testing
0: is necessary? Well, in some instances, it is. We have. Other tools available today, we can we can simulate certain things on the computer. And I always I worked in a toxicology laboratory, and we killed guinea pigs, and we exposed guinea pigs, and we killed them in a very humane way, by the way, and uh, and mice. I never felt good about it, but look at it the other way. I have seen that uh, advertised. Cosmetics. Our cosmetics, our lipstick, our eyeliner, or whatever else it is, has not been tested on uh, p- uh, guinea pigs or uh, 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 laboratory animals. Well, now your daughter is the animal. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it's one of those things uh, where you say, yeah, you can, it's the same thing. If we were to outlaw uh, cars, we wouldn't have. 40,000 car accidents uh, dead every year. Right. It's one of those things. Uh, uh, like I said, I never felt good about it, uh, that I could kill a mouse, or a rat, or a guinea pig. And you have no right to do that if you don't get data from it that are useful. There were people who said, oh, let's expose a handful. of said, what do you think you're going to get? Well, I don't know yet. said, you shouldn't do that. There should be a benefit to it and uh, we have exposed mice and extrapolated from the data which we got from mice very, very nicely um, and predicted exposure, uh, industrial exposure limits for humans. Right. And right. we did that with I don't know how many, probably 350 chemicals that were tested at the University of Pittsburgh Graduate School of Public Health. That is all published. One of them is formaldehyde. Our research showed that uh, there was a, a TLV, a threshold limit value, or a PEL from OCHA, uh, the permissible exposure limit for formaldehyde. And people complained. I said, hey, if I get exposed to the level that is, quote, okay for me, I get irritated. And we did a mouth experiment, and uh, we found out, yes, the mice reacted at a certain level, and we could extrapolate from the mouse to man. And I said, yes, what OSHA is saying is too high. It should be lower. And that's when it was at these data. Uh, Craig Barrow did most of the work with Dr. Allery, e. Allery, and I helped a little bit with uh, aerosol and gas generation and so on. So I was involved with that. Uh, that was the basis of changing the uh, the exposure limits by ACGIH, the American Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists, and by uh, OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration.
1: <clears throat> Data, real, real quick, I, I, I've always wondered, and, and I, I think I know the answer, but I'll get it out anyway. Um, these mice and guinea pigs and rats, as I understand it, they would not have been in existence, if it wasn't for the program they were going into. So, in other words, they were bred specifically for that use. And we didn't take rats or mice that were living on the face of the earth here. And then
0: that would take them be and put them the dumbest leg. thing you can possibly do. And people got, yeah, some, some people who didn't really know what was going on said they are probably catching cats and dogs and they are using them for experiments. They have been done, but that would be the dumbest thing to do. The mice and the guinea pigs, which I use in the laboratory at the University of Pittsburgh, they had papers. (laughs) They were bred for one reason and one reason only. Uh, We used Swiss Webster mice, that is one strain of mice, and the other one were, oh, what was the guinea pig? Australian, no... uh, uh, anyway, they had a name, too, and you want them, you want them to be as equal as possible to eliminate that uh, 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 part. People said, yeah, what do we use? Yeah, well, we use male. He said, why don't you, if you use, uh, let's say, ten mice, uh, said, why don't you use five female and five male? Wouldn't that be better? Well, in a way it is, but you are starting to dilute. And then you said, well, you all have them the same age, and they are basically the same age. Said, so why don't you take a couple of young ones and a couple of in, in the middle ones and a couple uh, uh, of old ones, because that is the exposure that uh, 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 can happen in, in, the, in the human population. Now you are diluting it anymore. So now you get 10,000 data points i much rather use one system that is consistent, which is calibrated, from which I can extrapolate what we have
1: learned previously. So you're eliminating variables. Is that actually? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's before we go into the particles in a little more detail, I just want to kind of run down some of the other topics we're going to discuss here. We've got Kevin Kennedy. He's going to be doing an update on current, Uh, Health and buildings research, you know, people and buildings. And and Kevin works with the Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City. He does a a tremendous job of presenting that information. We've got Mike McGinnis. Kevin's been a, a guest on the show. Mike McGinnis, the c i h from New Jersey, who really is just one of the more interesting people that we've ever <laughs> ever had on any of our shows and he's he's going to do data quality objectives and and then writing of reports, uh, which are two topics that I don't think you get enough attention. Dieter, you want to comment on either one of those?
0: Uh, well, yes, and um, i uh, well, I experience how should I say that in a in a in a in a nice manner? Yeah, I experienced when I had graduate students in our department that many just didn't really know how to write a report, and there is nothing wrong with the guys. I think they were never really told by somebody who knew. Now, I learned my report writing when I started working with lawyers, as an expert witness oh, okay. They said, great. Hey, we need either. We need this and this and this and this. Can you do that? And I remember the first report, Mike, I labored, I labored for a whole weekend. And finally I had eight pages on Monday morning and I called the lawyer and I send it to him at the time. It was a fax. We didn't use computers at that time. And I said, is that okay? And I said, well, uh, I send it back to you. Uh, The page two and three I want completely out. That's not good for me. That loads the guns of the other side. They don't have to know about it. I know you know about it, but we don't want to put them into the right direction. So I learned how to organize my thoughts and write them down. As a matter of fact, this weekend I was supposed to go fishing in Erie. I think I have to finish two reports. (laughs) Um, But um, Writing reports there... I, I, I think, yes, absolutely. And it's one of those, it, yeah, you can't learn how to play golf on day one. You have to do it several times, and you got to get experience with it. There you go. And that is uh, when somebody like I, who have, has written hundreds of reports, uh, Mike McGinnis had, has written hundreds, he was in court, he had customer and clients, he had other people uh, criticizing him and judging him, and, uh, yeah, you learn. You learn with experience. There are a couple of things that you say in your report, and there are a bunch of things that you don't mention.
1: Well, we're also going to have Herb Lehman do some advanced microbiology. Herb, a lot of people don't realize, Herb came from a clinical background. He worked in hospitals for years. He's very familiar with that type of uh, sampling and analysis. We're also going to have Eric Ciotti from EMSL who do a little more of the advanced sampling and equipment and interpreting of sample results, not so much for microbiology but all the other different types of indoor environmental quality analysis that uh, the folks at EMSL uh, offer. We've got a guy coming in, Francis Conlin, who's a professional engineer, who has done some really excellent work with me here recently on our indoor environmentalist course. He's an expert on building enclosures and building science and evaluating building enclosures and ventilation. And you're going to find that we're going to focus a lot on building science during this this conference. I think it's just vital. In fact, our keynote speaker will be Sam Rashkin from the U.S. Department of Energy. He's the chief architect there. He'll be doing four hours of building science on... Yeah, he was He was on our show, right? Which show was that? Absolutely. Do you know offhand? I do. He was back on, and, and I, I'm so glad you asked because I, I pulled it up and put it in my notes to make sure that I let listeners know. If you get a chance, you want to go back and check out episode 275. And also, Sam was on twice. Actually, the better one would be episode 280. He talked about his book, Retooling the U.S. Housing Industry, how it got here, why it's broken, how to fix it. Excellent, excellent job. 275, he he couldn't stay for long, so we only had him about 10 minutes. But 280 is a great one. Cliff, do you want to add something?
2: Yeah, I do, Joe. I think that one of the cool things about this event is it really gives people – from a cleaning background or a restoration background, uh, you know, the opportunity to diversify into indoor air quality investigation and inspection and, you know, have the opportunity to learn the techniques and and procedures from really a great cast of, uh, you know, talented instructors.
1: Well, I, I I agree wholeheartedly, and I appreciate you bringing that up because one of the things I I think is important for everybody attending any of these events is to know what you can do, but almost more importantly, what you cannot or should not be doing and when to bring in the right people, the, the appropriate people to help you when you get in beyond whatever you should be doing and, and the team approach. and And we really focus on that. In fact, we've got several roundtables. The one I'd like to mention quickly is going to be on commercial buildings and schools, HVAC, and building enclosures. We're going to do a roundtable discussion with Francis Conlon. I've got Tim Hoysert coming in for that. David Bailey from the West Virginia Department of Education, who's done a ton of work in schools. That's what he does. He's the indoor air quality guy for their schools. Luke Gard from the Kansas City Children's Mercy Hospital, who is in charge of their school program, uh, should be a great, great roundtable discussion. And then uh, just to kind of round things out on the third day, when well, there are several other sessions I don't have time to go into right now, that's when we're going to have the Z-Man do a keynote on some, you know, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about remediation and restoration on the third day and how that ties into advanced indoor environmental consulting and cleanup. So that will be a great day. We've got a couple other people coming in. Tom Peter from New Jersey. We've got Gary Leuben and Bill Wigand. We're actually doing a three-day water restoration technician course at the same time. That one's sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners. Got people like Eric Shapiro coming up from Florida. And uh, of course, Doctor Dietrich Wow, and, and and many others. So, looking forward to it, and hope we can all you know get get a bunch of listeners together there and uh, do some networking. Cliff, anything you'd like to add before we move to the next? No, section? no,
0: no, Jeff. Thanks. All right. Well, I I just said, Peter. and uh, I, I say that, and Joe knows that when Joe and I were teaching, uh, yeah, uh, at one time I, I I I was doodling somewhere, and I I could, off the tip of my tongue, I found. I think something like 25 states in which we taught our courses.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it might be 30 Basically
0: half the country. But the one opening line that Joe always said, and I'm using it whenever I am involved in this, I said, guys, here are 25 students in our class. Most likely, in the very near future, you will not find 25 people who are basically interested in the same thing that you are interested in. Yes, starts talking to each other and I remember the one I think it was either in New York or in New Jersey. There were two guys and the one guy said, I'm interested and I'm doing this and this and another guy said, You got to be kidding. I have been looking for somebody like you for years And here you come. They started a new company while we were there. Right,
1: yeah. And we've got quite a few people that come year after year. I've got to mention one, Nelson Constanza in, in Delaware, great guy who's been doing HVAC cleaning and asbestos and so on for a, a pretty big company out there. But anyway, uh, he comes back year after year, and every year it's it's the same thing. You know, I just love meeting these people and networking with people. And I know he calls you, Dieter, and, and talks to you about oh, projects. Yes. Oh, and... he, uh,
0: uh, I talk to him, I would say, regularly at least once a month. Yeah,
1: and, and that's the kind of thing we love with these events. All right, well, well, Dieter, let's move on a little to the particles. And I want to talk about the settling rate of particles. I guess we'll have to talk a little bit about the different size ranges first. Uh, yes. Can we go over the settling rate of particles? How long it takes for certain size particles to settle out of the air?
0: Absolutely. I have in front of me, and I will have a copy of that uh, when I'm uh, uh, going to the seminar here, our get together. What is that, uh, August 21st?
1: Yes. Through the, 20, 21st through the 25th. The 23rd will be the advanced environmental we'll start. I,
0: I think I will be there on the 23rd. I will have that. And there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 columns, um, uh, uh, which describe the behavior of particles in air, in air. And um, according to size, it starts at 0.001 micrometers, which is an incredibly small particle. Um, in fact, you can't, you can't see that particle under the microscope, under the normal, the light microscope. You can see it under an electron microscope. And it goes from 0.001 to 100 microns. Now, 100 micrometers is about the, uh, the diameter of a hair. So a 100 micron particle you can see and uh, anything in between. But let's take, and I, I just, I'm sitting at my computer, and I have my nice little convert uh, program on here. If anybody wants it, it's free. Uh, I have it for many years. Joe has a copy of it. Uh, they can email me, and I send it to them. Uh, my email address is my last name, W-E-Y-E-L-1-1 at AOL.com and uh, uh, I can send them that program over there I will probably I will uh, uh, scan this table I have in my hands but to answer your question a 10 micron particle which is still microscopic the human eye the human eye can uh, see uh, approximately a particle of about 40 microns and can resolve it. In other words, if I put two black particles on a white piece of paper next to each other and every one of them is about 40 micrometers in diameter, you can see that there are two particles. If I go to one micron particle and I put two of them on there, you can't see them. Yeah, that forget it. You can't see it.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, anyway. So a 10 micron, uh, micrometer or micron, both of them are used. Uh, The aerosol engineers and scientists use micrometers. The biologists use a micron. It is a millionth of a meter, approximately a millionth of a yardstick in round numbers. It doesn't matter. So it's incredibly small. Uh, a million, so you have a yardstick and you cut uh, in in, in a million slices, every slice is approximately one micrometer uh, thick, if it's one one meter, it's exactly one micrometer thick, that of course cannot be done Uh, anyway, here is a 10 micrometer particle and that is of importance Uh, all the books in toxicology and so on inhalation for man not a mouse not a guinea pig, not an elephant, is 10 micrometers or less. I have, and they deposit uh, according to size in different parts of uh, the lung. And I'm looking at another graph over here, which I made 19, oh my, 1994. So that is a couple of years ago. And I see here, and... the learned people have now broken up the particle size ranges in what they call inhalable mass and the thoracic thoracic mass, that is what gets into the lung, and the very respirable mass, uh, which has a good chance of making it all the way to the alveoli, and that is the part of the lung where the damage occurs. And if it occurs over there, we have problems with oxygen transfer from the dry side, the lung, into the liquid side, the capillary bed, into the blood. And, uh, and I just say that the thoracic mass is about, uh, well, it goes all the way to uh, in, in inhalation of like 100 micron particles. Those are the particles. They will deposit in your nose and in your throat and in your trachea. They really don't make it to the lung. The thoracic mass, those are particles 25 micrometers, and I talk, and we have to watch out when we say 25, what we really mean. 25 micrometer particles or less. They get this deposited in, in, the, in certain areas of the lung, and now comes the respirable mass, the inhalable, That those are the particles which have a good chance of making it all the way down to the bottom of the lung, those are 10 micrometers or less. So I always said to people, as far as I'm concerned in round numbers, 10 micrometers particles and less uh, are inhalable and depositable, if there is such a word, in the human lung.
1: And now I guess the 2.5s are of particular concern. Can you talk about that a little bit, Dieter? Oh,
0: sure, sure. Of course, um, I calibrated, oh, this is now 40 years ago, uh, the PM10, particulate matter 10 for uh, I think it was at the Allegheny County Health Department for the air pollution control uh, part. We had money because Pittsburgh was the smoky city. Yeah, <laughs> we got yeah. money uh, to, to study air pollution over here. That's when we had steel mills basically a half a mile away from Children's Hospital and other hospitals. Not a good idea to put steel mills there. Hmm. Uh, anyway, uh, we, we measured uh, uh, that one over there Then somebody said, well, five micrometer particles have an even better chance to get deeper into the lung. I agree 100%. Yes, of course they do. And they studied those. There was a PM5 uh, 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 air pollution sampler where we could look at that. And then somebody said, well, let's look at the very fine particles. They are probably even worse and I agree wholeheartedly, uh, the two-and-a-half micrometer particles, they, of course, can easily penetrate easily all the way to the bottom of the lung into the air sacs, the alveoli. Now, the next thing, which is very important and very often uh, overlooked, I said the word micrometers several times, and particles... Uh, less than 100 micrometers in diameter, particles, 25 microns, that is the thoracic mass, 25 micrometers and less, and the respirable uh, uh, mass, um, the 10 micrometers and less. Now, what does 10 micrometer, 25 micrometers, and 100 micrometers mean? That is the a, what is called the aerodynamic equivalent diameter in other words the behavior of particles in the air depends a on the size the physical size the shape and the density so a 10 micrometer particle of gold will not behave the same way as a 10-micrometer particle of water. In fact, a 10-micrometer a particle of gold acts in the air and in the land like a 40-micrometer um, particle, like a 40, not like a 10, even though if you look under the microscope, it's 10 micrometers in diameter. The aerodynamic equivalent diameter, you multiply by the square root of the density, and that of gold is about 16. That's why I took it, and I know what the square root of 16 is. <laughs> so a 10-micrometer particle of gold acts in the air and in the lung like a 40-micrometer particle. Okay. That is even more important when we talk about fibers, particularly asbestos fibers. There are fibres which we have seen in the lung. I shall bring a Joe knows that uh, uh, a picture which was taken in the lung, Um, where fibres, fibres, 30 micrometers in length, were found in the alveoli. That is almost impossible. Well, it is not aerodynamically fibres in the respiratory tract and in the air behave aerodynamically more according to their diameter rather than the length. And that has something to do with the viscosity of air in all of that. And somebody can ask me a very embarrassing question. What the hell happens when there is no air around? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that question has been asked. What happens when there is no Uh, Gravity and no density. What happens to particles? Well, nobody has studied that, but that is okay. So that is very, very, very important that we understand that. The other thing, while we are talking about the aerodynamic equivalent diameter, the AED, that is not the external defibrillator that you see every time I see AED. What? the first time I saw it. Who the heck knows what an AED is in the airport? <laughs> that is the, the, the defibrillator. But um, the other thing that is important, when you do toxicology with animals, I just said that for humans, I say particles of an aerodynamic equivalent diameter of 10 micrometers and less is... Uh, inhalable, I mean not inhalable, is uh, the respirable uh, size of particles that have good chance of making it to the alveola. Then people said, well, let's take these particles over here and let's expose mice to it. <clears throat> the reason was, well, human. Well, you see the problem here that if humans are uh, uh, exposed to it, fine. Then we expose the mice. And, well, if the mice can't inhale it, that means the humans can't inhale it, which, of course, is wrong. When we used particulate matter in the University of Pittsburgh for mice and guinea pigs, we were shooting in round numbers for one micrometer uh, particles. Sometimes they were 1.5, big deal, there is nothing you can do about it. Sometimes they were a little bit larger, inhalation of mold spores, if you can make them singly into the air, which is very difficult, very difficult, because they uh, coagulate. They they, they they meet each other, and all of a sudden, out of one, out of two, becomes one particle, which of course is larger. And typically, and Herb Lehmann will be talking about that too, uh, typically, um, the, the mold spores which are predominantly in our environment here in the Pittsburgh area, they are in the size range of about 3, 4 to 5 micrometers. So they are certainly inhalable, very nicely inhalable for humans. And fortunately, we have defenses for that. Uh, and uh, they, are also in, uh, they are also respirable, not to the same degree, but they're also respirable uh, uh, for uh, uh, animals, yes, so sometimes because of the particle size, if you can't control it, it doesn't make sense to do an animal study. If you can't get them small enough, if you can't get them smaller than 10 micrometers, don't waste your time in animals. Huh. They can't inhale it. Well, dear, they, get a, they get an irritated
1: nose. That's it. <laughs> Before we go on, I forgot to stop and thank our sponsors. So I want to do that real quick. It's going to take about. Sixty seconds, folks. We'll be right back. With okay, more sure. Discussion. Go right ahead. I'm here. All right. We'll be right back with Dr. Dietrich while we're talking particles and particle physics and aerodynamics and AEDs and that's not a defibrillator. We'll be right back. Thanks to our association sponsors. The
3: Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit, multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org.
1: And thanks to our advertisers gray wolf sensing solutions who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation visit them at
3: wolfsense.com legends environmental insurance services the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years learn about them at legends-enviro.com and of
1: course our marquee sponsors John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and
3: Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products.
1: All right, we're back with our technical director, Dr. Dietrich, while we're talking particles. Dietrich, before we got into the detail of aerodynamic equivalent diameter, the question was the settling rate. And, I, and we were kind of going through that a little bit. Let's go through that in a little more detail for listeners.
0: Uh, yeah, well, okay. If we take... If we take a 10-micrometer particle, which is that with an AED of 10 micrometers, that is a round particle that we take care of the shape. It's not a fiber. It's not oval. It's not a potato. It's round. And it has a density of one. Not gold, not lead, not copper or iron or any of that. So it's that. That one settles that one settles at about 0.3 centimeters per second. Or in one hour, I just converted it over here, about uh, 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 three feet. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, It says here, uh, no, uh, no, 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 uh, uh, sorry, I I didn't see. It's 35 feet per hour, Hmm. per hour it will fall down. Now, if we go down, and where is the table over here? Now, that one goes down with the square of the diameter because the viscosity of the air that hinders the falling of the particle uh, goes uh, by the area uh, that it sees. And if we go to one, well, that one goes uh, point... Three feet per hour. Hmm. 0.3 feet per hour. So in other words, if I would have released a one micrometer particle at my ceiling, which let's say is uh, uh, eight feet or is three meters high, well, that thing (laughs) would, it's still sitting up there someplace. Hmm. And that even assumes that there are no air currents, and air moves in your house. In my house, it does because I have a fan running 24 hours a day. And uh, so, in other words, a, 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 a one micrometer particle has virtually no chance to become dust on the floor. Now, it can find a wall, and they uh, attach to walls and cold surfaces. We know that from cars. You have to, uh, even if you are a non smoker, you have to uh, clean the windshield on the inside uh, uh, from time to time. If you're a smoker, you better do that once a week <laughs> uh, because the uh, the uh, uh, particulate matter from cigarette smoke, which starts out at about a half a micrometer, about a half a micrometer, but it coagulates because there are so many. They meet each other, and out of one, all of a sudden, you get three of them together. That's a triplet, quadruplets, and so on. Uh, uh, so anyway, they find a cold surface, your windshield, and uh, yeah, you, you notice, hey, there's, there's, there's garbage on there. Yes.
1: Well, what I'm getting from this, Dieter, is it's just not that easy to say, cut and dry, this type of particle falls this quick, this type of particle falls that quick, that that you have to take a lot of other things into consideration. That's right.
0: The shape and the density is essential. Okay. Yes.
1: Okay. Cliff, did you have anything you wanted to add or any questions you wanted to ask?
0: Well, I, I did. There, there was
2: one thing that I'd like Dieter to kind of clarify uh, if he can. I'm an ex-smoker,
0: Dieter. And are, are, aren't you an ex-smoker, too? I certainly am, and I have the effects of smoking, uh, which is called uh, uh, well, it's not really COPD, but it's chronic bronchitis, and I have a touch of emphysema. The the reason that
2: I asked is, can you differentiate between vapor and and particulate? And you know, now they have these new electronic uh, machines that instead of smoking a cigarette. Uh you actually inhale vapor and i, I just w- was just wondering what was the difference between particle and vapor and just well, any co- any comment on that much sure. cigarette well, uh, uh, it's, it's
0: it's 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 on one hand it's very difficult on the other hand it's very very easy. We know that small and we said it i said it three or four times small particles have a better chance of making it to the bloodstream uh, than large particles. Now we know that from people who snort cocaine, which I don't do and never did, <laughs> uh, you see them. What do they make? They don't take the big lump. Uh, they found out in a hurry, in a hurry, that if you make nice small particles out of it and then inhale it, uh, uh, they make it act a lot faster to the bloodstream. On the other hand, even the larger particles, which are uh, deposited in the nasal passages and so on, they will also they, they will also be absorbed. They are water soluble and and so on. So, if you now have a vapor, if you have a vapor, well, with the cigarette there are two problems. We have irritating vapor, aldehydes, uh, well, you name it. Uh, what is in cigarette smoke? Uh, uh, somebody studied that years ago. Uh, somebody found something like 500 different compounds, and I believe that. So there are vapors, irritating vapors, which is not good for the respiratory tract. It uh, paralyzes the cleaning mechanism of the lung. So the normal lung that brings out all the stuff that doesn't belong there, we have a wonderful cleaning mechanism. If we wouldn't have that one, neither one of us would be alive anymore. So... We have that, and we have the particulate matter. Now, if somebody says here is an electronic cigarette, um, they uh, uh, I have not looked into it, but I, uh, it, it has to be. It's just a device to deliver um, nicotine.
2: Right. Yeah, it's, I think it's a glycol or some other like type of vapor, that yes. it looks like smoke, and you just inhale it. Yeah.
0: Yes. Well, you don't get the aldehydes that you get from burning wood, you know, like cigarette leaves, tobacco leaves. You know what I mean? Right. So you eliminate that. I mean, that is okay. But, I mean, uh, I don't quite understand. I mean, you may as well put a patch on you, and then you get the stuff... Uh, uh, through your skin into the bloodstream, right. if you want it that way, yeah. Right. I wouldn't go, I have seen people do that, and they advertise them now. You can smoke anywhere. Right. right. Yeah, nobody can smell anything anymore. And uh, it's probably a glycol. There is some heat involved over there, and that is the same, the glycols are the, it's the same material that is used in the uh, theatrical smoke machines. Right. Yeah, th- those are uh, uh, edible uh, glycols, and they get heated, and then you push them out, and it comes out as smoke. Well. That is particulate matter, no question about it. And a very small, similar to that of tobacco smoke, half a micrometer in diameter. Okay. All
1: right. Now, Thank you. Um, I've got a text, but I'll get to that in just a minute. Before I do, Dieter, we we get a lot of... Um, discussion about the cleaning of air and cleaning up of uh, of particles from the air whether it's post remediation or if it's just someone like Val that you know wants an air cleaner in her bedroom because she's got allergies etc i wonder if you could you could talk a little bit about the difficulty or or maybe it's not difficult of getting the particles to go through the air filter Um, I guess it has to do with the capturability of the air filter and and the movement in the room, and I don't know if we have time to get into it in much detail, but maybe a couple general comments on that. Oh,
0: certainly. Again, and (laughs) uh, 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 we said that, I said it, and Joe said, the particle size is the most important parameter for catching a particle. If you have, like I do in my house, a furnace filter, my furnace filter... I think whatever it is, 16 by 25 costs 99 cents at the, at the Home Depot or whatever, wherever I bought it. I bought another one. In fact, I have to cut that one to size. It's supposed to be, quote, better. But if you put one of those uh, into your ventilation or your heating or air conditioning system, you know what I mean. It's uh, it's that that, that that filter, usually it's blue. And you it's flash, stick, right. and you put it in there. That is the typical filter that is used in 90 percent of the homes in the United States. Well, if you think if you think you're going to catch bacteria and cigarette smoke and uh, mold spores with that adios, forget it. They go through there as though it is not there. Uh, if you want to, and I know I knew one house. In fact, I bought the house. Somebody told me that the the, the former owner had terrible allergies, and he had, and that works like a dandy, but there are problems with it. It works like a dandy. He had a ventilation system, an air transport system, the heating system and air conditioning system. He had a a chamber, a pre chamber, uh, with two filters in it. One very lousy one, the 99-cent variety, That, those are the blue ones. And he had already a little bit better one over there. And the, uh, the, the, the first filter takes out the hair and stuff like that. Big particles, uh, not really respirable and getting into the lung, but it takes it out. And there's a good reason for it. The next filter takes out the smaller particles. It's a better filter. Now, if you're not interested in the vapors, and even the best way would be put the third filter in there, and that would be the HEPA filter, the high-efficiency particulate air filter. But now you are now you're running into problems because why? Because you are uh, increasing the fr- uh, the resistance to flow. You need energy and a normal fan like in my house would not push the right amount of air through that HEPA filter. Now that person over there what he did, he was he had behind the filter bank, he had an electrostatic precipitator. And a good electrostatic precipitator is absolutely fantastic, absolutely fantastic for uh, small particles. It's not so good for large particles, but you got rid of the large particles up front. That's mm-hmm. exactly what they do in power plants. They filter out the big particles, and they run the rest through electrostatic precipitators. And you should see how many tons of garbage they take out. It's unbelievable. So that would If you just buy itself a little filter... Uh, and and put it in your house, and you think you are doing uh, uh, something good. Don't don't waste your money. Some idiot, some idiot in Paris, in France, in Paris, they had huge, oh God, uh, I would say, they were like two meters, two yards, three yards in diameter. They put them in the downtown area, and I would say at least 15 feet high. Those were filters to filter out uh, downtown particulate matter in Paris. Mm-hmm. Are you crazy?
1: <laughs> it's like using a fly swatter to kill an elephant. <laughs> uh, yeah,
0: basically, yeah, probably even a little bit worse than that. A fly killing a whale or something like that. Well, work. So uh, I do not like, for several other reasons. The electrostatic uh, uh, precipitators uh, that you Uh, 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 buy—what was that? Uh, What was the name from uh, the the, the well-known company? Honeywell. Uh, Well, Honeywell—I don't know that one. The one—the company that is bankrupt. Oh.
1: The one they, that produced ozone, though, is a byproduct. And on top it's of it, cool. ozone, Yeah, yes. yeah, they had the, something with ozone guard. I can't uh, remember. Uh, Ababa really. air, uh, electro air, something like that.
2: Yeah, precipitron?
0: Yeah. No, it was the... Precipitron is fine. That was, the precipitron was a uh, name that Sears Robot used okay. 30 years ago. 40 years it was a precipitron, yes. Well, I'll get I that have name. seen those two. Uh, the more modern ones are much smaller and more efficient, and, I mean, they do a marvelous job, but you still haven't done the job with the vapors. Okay. The vapors are going to go through.
1: I see. So now, let me, that, that you need now,
0: now you need a charcoal filter. In other words, you may as well forget about it. It's it incredibly expensive to do something like that. And then what is the next problem? And we all know, when I say it, we all know the answer. There is maintenance.
1: Right, right.
0: The little old lady with asthma and allergies, she doesn't go in there once a month and cleans the thing the way it ought to be cleaned and all of that. So that is those are problems that we are having. And if you want to do that, you have to have a hell of a lot of money.
1: Well, Dieter, there's a text I want to get to because we're running low. Uh, it says, so if I'm to understand, vapors are gases, particulates are solids that can be carried by vapors?
0: Well, yes, certainly.
1: Okay. Any
0: vapor has a chance, depending, I mean, uh, for a vapor to jump onto a, a, a gold particle is pretty is pretty slim. But if you have uh, a a normal dust, you know, from dirt outside, now they can absorb easily uh, vapors. Now the vapor is concentrated on the particle. The particle runs through the trachea, through the major bronchi, into your lung and is deposited over there. Now not only have you deposited the particle, but you have also carried in something that is sitting on the particle Whatever vapor or gas that was until today i I don't know the difference between a vapor and a gas, and I don't care, but it is a molecule <laughs> it, it is a molecule that is sitting up in the air
1: now, Dieter, as far as gases go, I mean the gases I, this may sound like a stupid question, but there are no stupid questions, so I'm going to put it out. Do gases settle
0: well <laughs> uh. I heard that, which is, of course, complete garbage. Good thing you remind me of that. I will bring my ventilation book, and uh, people, yeah, uh, somebody said, oh, this gas is heavier than air, and it falls to uh, uh, the bottom of the house uh, like, uh, like a piece of lead. Forget it. It doesn't work that way, even in high concentrations. Now, if you are in a room, yeah, how should I say that? If I were to fill a cylinder with two gases, and one is really heavier than the other, first of all, in the above the, uh, space, there will be both of them, and maybe, maybe the heavier one will concentrate towards the bottom. But there is no wind in there. There is no thermal cor- current, no nothing is in there. That just doesn't happen that way.
1: Now, does it distribute differ- differently? Like I've heard of, of gases being sinkers, you know, so maybe carbon monoxide, I think, is a, an example I've heard. Uh,
0: <laughs> good luck. Uh, good okay. luck. It, okay. That's garbage. All right, all right. That's, that's why I ask. <laughs> uh, yes, that's garbage. It just doesn't work that way. And I can make a very simple calculation, and I can, uh, I can make a calculation of a relatively high concentration, let's say carbon monoxide, or uh, uh, let's take an even heavier one. It doesn't matter. Um, I can make a calculation and sh- uh, show you uh, that at a high concentration, the mixture of that gas in the air, in the air is almost at the same density as the air itself because yeah we are not talking about percent of benzene or uh, uh, uh. we are talking in the parts per million Mm -hmm. in micrograms per cubic meter so when that all mixes it has it doesn't even have a chance to fall yeah to fall to the to the to the bottom
1: well, maybe, I guess where I've heard this, Dieter, and maybe you can clarify for me why I've heard this, and, and if it's wrong, it's wrong, but um, say, for instance, you're working in a trench and somebody's got a truck idling close to that trench, that the carbon monoxide would gather more in the trench than...
0: That has some Yes, I, that probably can happen. But that ha, it's basically if you are in a trench and you have a, a, an engine that spits out uh, carbon monoxide... And all of those engines do that very well. They are great carbon monoxide uh, generators. And I will be talking at the meeting, I will be talking for at least an hour about carbon monoxide. (laughs) But that is a ventilation problem. It, it, It doesn't stay there because it is heavy. It stays there because in the trench, You don't have the ventilation that you have above the trench. Otherwise, everybody would be keeling over in New York City, downtown New York City, during rush hour. You're standing six feet away from something that spits out, something incredibly deadly. But it mixes up, and it's not because the carbon monoxide stays on the floor. on the street and doesn't uh, uh, hit your mouth or nose.
1: Well, yet they still recommend atmospheric monitoring in confined spaces at three levels, top, middle, and bottom. That's from Andy.
0: Uh, Well, in a very confined space, I would, I, I mildly agree.
1: Okay, okay.
0: I mildly agree because of the ventilation rate. Like I said, yeah, why aren't people dying uh, in Pittsburgh and yeah in 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 New York or New Jersey during rush hour, Houston or where the there area. are thousands, hundreds of thousands of cars spitting out, I mean tons of carbon monoxide, and nothing happens to anybody.
1: Right. Right. Okay. Right. Yep. Cliff, before okay. we, it's it's getting late. Cliff, do you have a final question for Dr. Dietrich Wow? No, I don't. All right, Dieter, okay. I, we hey. can go on for another hour. I know, but before we go, is there anything you'd like to add?
0: Well no I uh, I I'm 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 looking forward to I, I I like teaching I like I'm a lousy manager I don't like to manage people uh, in a in a in an industrial setting but I like to manage students in my classroom I like to teach and Joe knows that and that's why I'm doing it and uh, I will be there And uh, I will bring, uh, and Joe and I, we have to talk about that, of what we want to do, whether I bring calibration equipment and what have you. But uh, we we will be talking again about particulate matter and gases. And the other thing, which we didn't talk about today, sampling. How the heck do I sample for all of that? Right. Intelligently. Right. So that I get the right answer for my question. So we will be talking about that. So that, uh, I, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I don't do much teaching anymore. In fact, the last time I taught was last year in August.
1: Wow. Well, we look forward to getting you up here and uh, getting you back in the saddle. <laughs> yep, that will be fine. Right. Uh, I gave people my, uh, in fact, let me see whether somebody Wild. sent me a nasty Wild uh, new mail over there. That's wild11 at AOL.com. Um, that's right uh, I have
0: I have email for a Caribbean vacation Black friday sale <laughs> I'm sure go miami and later. find an associate and bachelor oh maybe I go and get a bachelor's and master's degree uh, in homeland security yeah <laughs> uh?
1: Uh, uh, University
0: Dieter, of Phoenix or something like that. I don't know. I haven't gotten an email yet, which I guess is good.
1: As always, it's, it's a pleasure. Again,
0: congratulations to Andy. He did it again. Did you win today again? Yes, he, he did. did well, it, it helps if you are listening live to it. You That's know, right, you, are, right.
1: yeah, you have the gun in your hand and you have your finger on the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dater, this is Radio Joe Hughes saying thank you so much to this week's guest and our regular technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow! I also want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man. Cliff, another great week, and I uh, look forward it's to good. talking to you again soon. Uh, at the controls, Roxy V. Valbender. No glitches again today. She's thanks, on a, everyone. She's on, a roll, on a roll here. And, of course, to our growing group of loyal listeners, thanks so much for tuning in this week. Please come back next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio. i hey.